Uh, I don't know if this, this probably won't really be a traditional kind of pre-Christmas sermon. Um, I don't have too many of those. Um, and so I was praying through as we were kind of leading up uh, to our Christmas Eve service, just asking God to direct the process and direct uh, what He's teaching us. And um, I'm excited about the text this morning, and I believe that as we go through, uh, you may see, uh, hopefully you see what, what I saw in God's provision uh, for the text today. So we're going to continue in Mark, uh, and we're going we're gonna to jump in at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. And I love this story because Jesus is trying to teach them, the disciples, He's continuing their educational process and, and directing them in, in their learning, and yet uh, the disciples are distracted by earthly needs, right? Um, th- this morning the text talks about uh, them forgetting, a, their, they've only brought one loaf of bread for their trip across uh, the lake in the boat this morning. Or it may have been evening. I'm not sure what time of day they were going, but uh, they're they're struggling because they don't have enough food for the trip. I, I don't know how many of you guys have ever taken a trip, but one of our one of my great remembrances as a child was a complete flop of a trip that we took as a family, and um, it, it really wasn't particularly my my parents' fault, but I got to see the beauty of their ability to handle conflict and discuss. Uh, situations in this particular trip. We were going camping, we were going up to Indian Heaven, and for whatever reason, we took the Corvair. Now, uh, it was, a, it was a, a, a decent car, but it rode pretty close to the ground. And if you know anything about the Corvairs, one of their unique uh, flaws being low to the ground was their fuel tank um, It was sit, would sit right up uh, front. And um, we um, would, would actually uh, w- wore a hole in the fuel line and so by the time we got up there, we noticed that we had gas dripping out of the vehicle, and the discussion ensued on what to do. Now, just for a second, think for yourselves. You're a family trip. You've packed everything up. You have three rotten kids in the car with you. You've been driving for an hour or two up this mountain path on a gravel road, and you get there, and you have a decision to make. What do we do now? The fuel is running out of our vehicle. Now, I will tell you that many of those suggestions were in process because my brother and sister and I were very helpful. Turns out that was not considered help by my parents who were discussing all of their options. And now I want you to know we survived the trip. Um, we ended up racing back home because my dad figured that he could, if he just drove, we could get there, you know, and we could make it home and we'd just throw more fuel in and be dripping fuel (laughs) all the way home. And uh, I don't even know if we thought about what would we start a spark by driving the metal, driving back down over all the gravel that we were just, wore our hole in the tank. Anyway, um, it was not one of our finer moments as a family in dispute or in discussion or in emergencies, which I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience. Uh, But we find the disciples and Jesus in another one of those scenarios where something from an earthly issue has arisen to the point where it exceeds the value of the teaching that Jesus is trying to give them. And so in the midst of this process, Jesus is beginning to instruct them and they are discussing, and I love that we use the word discussing, the fact that they had no bread. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 8 verse 14. 
great if like there was a little bit more of that conversation where you actually heard them say, yes, Lord, okay, we get it, we're sorry. Mark doesn't give us any of that detail. He leaves us right there with that closing statement, do you not understand? Can you imagine the discussion that these poor guys are having? Who forgot the bread? I mean, I love the fact that they used this, this civil idea that they were having a discussion. My guess is if it was a, a, a bunch, a boat full of guys, especially several of them being young, the discussion had something probably more along the lines of a discussion at my home when my four boys were disagreeing about who was going to get in trouble for something. That's my guess. I'm thinking it was probably Judas. Don't you guys agree? I just think we should blame him for it since he was the one with the money and he wasn't right anyway. Who I they don't we don't talk about that. All we know is that they didn't have bread and it's a big deal. Big enough that when Jesus begins with his warning and he and he actually challenges and 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 calls them out on this particular warning that he's giving them at this time that the disciples disregard the warning and they go directly into their discussion about who forgot the bread. Now just for the sake of marital counseling, one minute, we're just going to step outside of this. If you guys are at the spot, if any of us, and I include myself, you're in a scenario in your life and you're already at a destination, deciding who got you there is not going to help you get out. That's just free marital advice right there. I would encourage you at that point not to ask that question. The question is, so what do we do next, right? Don't, don't determine who's at fault. Jesus didn't spend a whole lot of time laboring at who's at fault, and instead He offers them a warning, and it's a stern warning. When we see Him say, watch out and beware, He's giving them both a a command-type warning. This is not, hey, you guys should be be mindful of this, at least consider that this is a strong and stern warning from Jesus. Don't, do not fall, uh, don't be deceived by this leaven, don't be deceived by the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and um, one of the other spots where he's teaching about this is in Luke chapter 12. We'll, we'll look at that real quick just so that we understand what, what this is that Jesus is warning them. It's not the only time he's done it. This isn't the one warning that they got that they missed because of the bread issue. In Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus uh, actually beginning this conversation again with them starting in verse 1. This warning that Jesus has been trying to instruct his disciples, you can't live like the Pharisees live. You can't you cannot allow their, their type of religion to infect or, or, or to permeate your relationship with me. We see similar type of warning in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. But you say, if a man tells... Here, Jesus is warning his disciples about this kind of behavior, this kind of practice. And it's interesting, I, I, love, I love in this process of the text, we, we're dealing with hypocrisy here. We're dealing with this idea that, you, that the Pharisees uh, can, can live in a certain way. They, profit, they, they, they testify that they are followers of God, but their lives don't follow, at least not in their private lives. Their, their public lives, they, they live pretty righteously and in, in, in fact, clearly not what uh, Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus confronts them in Mark and, and references the idea that they honor him with his mouth, but with their mouths, but not with their hearts. Uh, does that ever convict you guys? 
I, that just drives me nuts when I see that in my own life. I testify, I say that I live this way, or I want to live this way, I believe these things, and then I catch myself in, 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 the, in the moments where I don't have, you know, the, the really good Christian self-control. I was tinkering on my car yesterday, a brilliant move, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on something, and I've got metal on one side and, and a tool in my hand, and, and guess what happens? Yeah. I, I got a fingernail. Uh, I played some kind of note on my nails across that metal. Now, right there, what just happened in all of your minds, each one of you were thinking about, oh, I wonder what cuss word he said, or I wonder what, what <laughs> attitude he had, or I wonder what happened. You guys all applied some kind of filter that you live with in your own lives. Be convicted. not telling you what I did. It's not important. What's important is what you do. What is this leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod that, that, that Jesus references in here? This idea that, that there's an agent that infests their, their lives that causes a result that is negative. No, most of the time when we see leaven mentioned in Scripture, normally it's negative. It's not every time, but typically when Jesus is speaking of the leaven in, the, in these times, and even Paul references it, we'll look here in just a second at one of his references to leaven, but it's often bad. It means some, it typically is something that comes in and, and affects everything and causes what grows out of that to be something that's really not wanted. And, and I want to be really careful with this text, and, and we'll look at this in just a, at, at the end of it. Jesus, as he finishes this, does not seem to be pointing to them about a particular issue of, uh, it almost doesn't look like hypocrisy here. So we're taking the, the idea of hypocrisy and the leaven of the Pharisees as a pretty big picture um, using other texts. That's part of the reason we went back and grabbed Luke, because it's more than just it's more than just what we're going to end with today. The leaven that they had is a large issue. It includes hypocrisy, which is living one way, actually trying to pretend that you live one way while you're really living something else. This idea of almost expecting somebody else to live by a command that you yourself won't do in the privacy of your own life. So we're going to take a second and look at this leaven. How many of you make your own bread anymore? You know, I, I actually was, I was trying to find, very good. I was actually, I was going to try and do an illustration for you. And because I grew up, we actually used to make our own bread. We had a grinder and we put the wheat in and we'd do the whole deal. And we had a couple of times where uh, it turns out my brother and I were roughhousing too much. Do you know what happens to bread when you're roughhousing around it? It falls flat. Yeah, that's not a good way to get your mom happy with you either, we found out. That's a, that's a negative, negative response to that. But I thought to myself, man, what a cool illustration it would be to put up a lump of bread up here with leaven and, and let, it, let it rise as I was preaching. And um, the, the individual that I was checking to see if this was possible, they helped me understand I really don't know what I'm thinking. Um, because one... For your, luckily for you, I won't preach long enough for that to actually work. <laughs> Secondly, we couldn't tolerate the heat that would be required to have the room at to really make it effective either. Um, I know 80 plus degrees might sound good in, in the morning, but not once we're all gathered in here. So, 
I didn't do the illustration. It would sure smell good. But we don't use leaven as they would have back at that time, which they would have used that for, for much of their cooking, uh, except for in, in the scenarios where they were doing the unleavened bread, um, which they did especially at Passover as a sign of having the leaven removed and, and to becoming as just as a clean, pure, or a new lump, as we'll see here. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about this idea of leaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Now we have to remember that in this particular passage, Paul's dealing with a significant issue of sexual immorality that's happening in the church at the time, even to the point that he says earlier in the chapter, not even the, not even the, the, the heathens are living the way that you're living. This sin isn't even known among people that are not of God. This is so horrible. Um, and, and he says that it's not even known among them. And when we pick up in, in verse 6... The boasting that he's talking about is the arrogance with which they are, the, the church is handling this. They're proud of their religion and somehow their sin included in that. And, and Paul says that in this in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I think it's, it's important for us to recognize uh, as we consider what it means to be followers of Christ and as Jesus is challenging his disciples that the leaven that happens in our lives this leaven of evil and malice, it's an opposition, if you will. It's opposed to sincerity and truth, but it gets in and it doesn't take much to affect the whole lump, right? Uh, again, I don't know if, if you haven't done much with, with leaven and, and making bread, then it's really hard to understand, but the amount of leaven that you would actually put in to get your bread to grow was very, very small in comparison to the lump that you would put in there. Isn't that the way it is with sin for us? It doesn't take much to get us off track, does it? Just a small amount. Even, even a lie or a deception, something that can, that can take us off of the truth, is, it can be so, so small. Our enemy is pretty clever when it comes to deception. You guys, we're pretty easily fooled. I'm simple. And I can get distracted by the smallest things. Fortunately for me, I've been sick and home last two days, so I haven't had a lot of driving experiences to draw from this week. Did you notice in the text, when he talked about the leaven, when I first started, uh, as I was thinking through this process, I'm like, old leaven, new leaven. I started just, just walking down this idea of this new man, the new life that's in me. And I read back through the text, and I realized there's not, a new, there's not new leaven. 
or unleavened. The new, the new lump is with none of that in there. That's, what, that's where we start out. That's who we are in Christ. And so if these things come into our lives, if, if this change happens, the, the disciples are entertaining them. They're, they're listening. They're engaging them. They're actually being deceived by these, by these things from the Pharisees or, the, or, the, or Herod at the time that would have distracted them. So here you have Jesus, right? And he's giving the instruction. He's warning them about this leaven. It's not the first time he's warned them. He's giving them good biblical doctrine, important doctrine that they need to be aware of. Be, he says, be aware. What does he say? Watch out. Beware of this. He's instructing them on this. And then the disciples begin to discuss the lack of bread. I'll I'll share a brief story of of my childhood. I didn't see the significance of it at the time, but I used to love um, Petra, which for you old people, that's like who cool rock Christian rock band for you young people. You're like, huh? Um, it was kind of a cutting edge rock band back in my day. Um, so so cutting edge that um, my mom found the 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 cassette tape. Cassette tapes, that's plastic that rolls on reels and takes music. She found it in my car, in my 1965 Corvair that I was driving. And um, I came home from an event, I can't remember what it was, and I walked in and my mom and dad are standing by the tape player and I'm called in for a discussion and they want to know what this tape is. And I'm like... It's Christian music, and I really like it. It's great. And uh, turns out that at that time of our lives, drums were sin, and any rock music was sin. I'm not sure if any of you remember that era of life. Um, and so my parents, my mom begins to play the tape, and I thought, Lord, please, anything but this means war. Please, anything but that song. And it was one of the one of the really great ballads. Get on your knees and fight like a man. It was it was Petra's bow your you know get on your knees and pray. And uh, I thought, whew, man, I made it. And so my mom, she gets done, she pulls it out, she goes, so what are you gonna do with this? And I thought to myself, uh, listen to it. <laughs> Turns out that was the wrong answer. It ended up in the fireplace. Now. You need to know my mom and dad and I are in a much better place than that. But at the moment, as they were trying to impart to me in their hearts and their minds, very, very important wisdom at that time. Now, I use that because it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty safe. But haven't we all had that moment where we're in, being instructed? And maybe it's by God. Maybe, maybe it's in a spot in our life where he's trying to get a hold of us. He's trying to get our attention. And we're out worried about whatever earthly or physical thing it is that's in our life at that moment, and we can't, we're not listening. We're not hearing Him. And I think that's where the disciples were out. This issue of bread was significant. It was physical. It was immediate. And their focus was on that. And as Jesus is trying to, to instruct them, the discussion begins with the lack of bread. What I love about what Jesus does is he takes this and he turns it around to begin to reveal their lack of faith and understanding in who he is. 
I love how he does this. I, I got to share this story. Um, it's out of the it's out of the text. Um, it's in. Um, I'm sorry, not not quite there yet. Jeremiah, Jeremiah five, twenty one twenty five. Jeremiah 5, verses 21 through 25, we actually see Jesus uh, quote and ask them the, the same question, exactly the same, probably referencing this particular uh, um, text from Jeremiah, which, again, if, if you were educated in the Jewish religion and you understood the Old Testament, there's a good chance you may have heard this quoted or referenced at some point in time in your childhood. So we see here in Jeremiah 5, verse 21, hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. Then They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. What is Jesus, how does he direct them back? How does he realign their focus? Look in the, back in the passage in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you see what he's doing with them? He's, he's calling their mind back to, calling them to remember. Remember the things that he's told them. I think he's even challenging them. Remember the things that were written. Remember what the prophets had called Israel to do. do you, you see all the, the, the spots where he aligned that? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Much like what Jeremiah was calling the people of Israel to. And I love in the Jeremiah account how he, he, he gives, the, he says, look at the ocean, look at the sand, how the, the ocean doesn't overtake it. It doesn't, it doesn't break through. It's been set as a boundary by God. And it holds fast. Jesus then walks them through the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And ask them the questions, and do you not yet understand? I know sometimes in my own heart I think, man, God, if I would have been there, right? Do we ever think that? If, if I would have been there, if I would have seen that miracle, I would have remembered that day on the boat. I would have been the one standing up saying, boys, boys, don't you worry, we got Jesus here. He's a bread-making machine. You know, I said it that way on purpose because there's so many times that in, that, that, that is what I think of Jesus. And I, I think there's times where the disciples were wrestling with that. They looked at him as being the, the source that provided the physical needs, that fixed the issues that were around them at that moment. And I believe that what Jesus was calling his disciples to see in this moment was bigger than that. 
He asked them specifically, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up in both of those scenarios? Not did the people eat. Not how many people did we feed. It, it wasn't, it was, he focused on what was left over. It was the excess. It was what, it was what came as an abundance when God showed up and brought the provision, there was great abundance. And what I began to wrestle with in my own heart, and the, the, the thing that I was, I'm wrestling with, even for the disciples, is what's missing? What are they missing in their thinking of who Jesus is? What are they missing at this moment? They're convinced, they're, 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 conversation is focused on their physical needs. And Jesus is pointing out to them, your physical needs are not an issue for me. Physical needs are, are, are very, very small. The emphasis, I believe, in both of those scenarios was about who the provider is. Who's the source of their provision? Who's the source of their needs? Who's their source? He was on the boat with them. The one that solved all of those problems in, the, in, in both of those scenarios, the one that, that, went, that they went to and that prayed to God and brought the, the abundance was with them on the boat, in their proximity, saying, hey, boys, pay attention to this. And they said, but we don't have any bread. Do you see? That's an incredibly, I'm thinking to myself, God, how can they miss that? There's a story of someone knowing their provider um, way back in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and this is Hannah. It's Samuel's mother, and she was barren, and, and she comes to the house of the Lord, and she's praying that God would hear her prayer and, and would show up, and She's so passionate and distraught about this that Eli, the priest, thinks she's drunk because she's praying with such emotion. And she goes home and, and becomes pregnant, and this is, her, this is her response when she, after having Samuel, and she returns to the temple to celebrate and exalt God, to praise Him for who He is. This is what she says in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. On them He has set the world. Here, here's a mom who in desperation cried out to God, recognizing that that. It was only Him that could provide. And when the provision showed up, she testified to who He was. She exalted Him for being the provider that He was. I believe that part of what the, the disciples are missing is they're, they're not recognizing Jesus as more than just the prophet at this point. They don't see Him as more than just 
the hand of the, the voice of God or the prophet of God or some, some connection. They're growing in that knowledge. They're learning more and more about him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus is instructing his, his listeners at this time, instructing his disciples and pointing to the ability for us to trust and to rest in our needs before the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus in His teaching was consistent in pointing His disciples towards God being sufficient, towards His role as the coming Messiah. I believe that what Jesus was teaching them was to keep their eyes on Him. Follow me. I am all that you need. Just hit me. I'm wondering if Jesus was responsible for the bread on that trip. Wouldn't that be just like him? Say, I love you guys so much. I want to help you get this. Because it's super important. So Jesus, he's the provider, right? God's the provider through Christ. He's the one that provides the provision for all of our needs. It's funny to me how difficult this is for us to get. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to wrap up here with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. I do I want to encourage you you know, we, we sure beat up on the Corinthian church. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but we all, we all like to point at the Corinthian church and go, <sighs> I think mostly because we somehow think we're better than them. And I just want to really, I want to challenge you and caution you not, not to let that be a thought, but rather to say, okay, God, help me not be, teach me where I'm like this so that I don't exercise this kind of faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 
and even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. When provision happens, when growth happens, when fruit is developed, it is provided by God and it is grown by God. It is His. We don't get any credit for this. We can't take any credit for this. We belong to Him. We're, I, I love what it says. We are God's field and we are God's building. We are the church. We're His and He's the one that's doing all of these things. And in that mindset. In that idea, we celebrate Christmas because it is the birth of the coming Messiah, right? Jesus, who is the provision for all of our needs, both physical and spiritual. That's why we celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, here's the challenge. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is teaching his disciples about him being the provision for all of their needs, he references, beware of the, 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 the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the deception of the Pharisees that would cause us to live in a way that does not line up with what we say we believe. So you and I say we believe that Jesus is the coming Messiah the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the Son of God. Does it change how you live? Remember, what it, remember the, the first time that, that Jesus was challenging the, the disciples about the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees? Luke chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. He's talking about this idea that, that they think they, that what they're doing in secret is secret. How we live, how we uh, uh, exercise our lives, how we take the commandments of God and apply them to our lives, that reflects what we actually believe, not what we say we believe. You guys know that I happen to like a particular brand of vehicle, right? How do you know that? Okay. So I talk about it a lot, right? If I were to tell you about my love of this particular brand of vehicle, and then I were to drive a RAV4, just for illustration purposes... If I, own, if I ne didn't own any of them, what would you say about my view or my belief in that vehicle? It's bunk. It's worthless. If I think that that's the best car to own, but I don't own it, what does it mean? 
I'm either deceived or I'm a liar. Right? Now think about it. Go with me on this. If it's the best thing to own, if it's the best of the best, you would sacrifice other stuff to get it. If it's truly the best, we would give up everything else that's in our lives that would keep us from getting to that point. Now, I'm using an illustration of a car, and that's why it's really easy for us to go, well, that's not going to work because there's not a one of us that are really that committed to any mechanical vehicle. At least most of us aren't that committed to a mechanical vehicle. (laughs) But think about this from a spiritual standpoint. If Jesus is truly the, the Messiah, the coming promised Messiah, prophesied about throughout all Scripture, and He's the one that's going to set everything right, following Him, as He says in His Word, is the only way to get to God the Father, then would we not sacrifice or sell everything else that we have in our possession that would keep us from going that direction? My conviction is that that is true. The the conviction of my heart is that therefore I must not really believe it. Because what else sits in front of my time with God? What else sits in front of my obedience to His truth, to the Word of God? For each of us, it may be something different, but we have to do this evaluation. If I say I believe this is true, then is it possible that I'm living within the leaven of the Pharisees? I've allowed it to taint my life because somehow I've come to a Christianity that lets me forfeit on certain things but still claim to be His child in others. What does it look like for you and for me to hear the words of the Lord this morning? Do we have eyes and not see? Do we have ears and not hear? Are our hearts hardened to the point that we would live one way at home, at work, the quiet of the night, when we're in our cars alone? but we would testify to something totally different in the presence of our Christian brothers and sisters. Friends, I'm not saying that we're going to get it perfect. I'm a living example of that, of this challenge and struggle. I heard somebody say to me this morning, or I heard they were on the radio, they said, well, last year I didn't make any plans, so I'm going to do that again this year, because last year was the best year of my life. Wow! I thought to myself, Man, if I were to make a goal this year, what would it be? I want to seek first the kingdom of God this year. And now I'm not telling you, that sounds really grand. Woohoo, super spiritual, yay. What does that mean? How do you define that? I have in my mind what it looks like for Christ to be more important than some things for me right now. I have that in my own heart. I'm not going to share it with you. I'm going to, I'll share that with a couple of my accountability guys who will hold me to it. But I want to challenge each of you to ask that question this week. What would it look like for you and for me to seek first the kingdom of God? What would it look like for us to put Christ as more important than something else here on this earth? 
something that may be in the way, something that may be distracting us from following Jesus and living in obedience to what he's called us to do. That's my challenge for you as we enter Christmas and we say, Hosanna. Our coming king has arrived. He's here. Peace on earth. Father, you have brought great truth into my heart this week as I've considered what it means to see you as all I need. To see this coming Messiah, this baby born as the great king, the, the, the fulfillment of Isaiah 6, the, the prophecy of, of the coming king. He's going to sit on the throne of David forever. And Lord, the the reality of those places that I lack, that I still find myself wrestling with, the reality is it's idolatry. It's, It's idols that stand before you, that I hold up before you, that I invest time and energy and passion and conviction in before you. And Lord, the the worst part is, I think that the idol of myself, it's the hardest one to kill. It's the hardest one to, to take off the throne. It's the hardest one to surrender. Because I like my comforts. I like, I like, I like me. And yet, Lord, you loved me enough to die on the cross. To say that what I really need is you. God, I pray this week as we consider what it means to seek first your kingdom, you would, over, you would just overhaul our whole thought process, our hearts this week, that you would put in our minds the things that we need to lay down, that we need to surrender to you, that you would be our king, that you would be our Messiah, that you would be the Son of God, the creator, living God, who interceded for for all of my flaws and sins and failures and have created a way through your grace and your love for me to be in relationship with you for eternity. What What a glorious truth that is. Father, I pray that my life would reflect that truth more this year as I desire to seek and know you more, to live in obedience to you more, May you be glorified this morning in the worship of your church as we go out and worship you this week in all that we do in your name.